if you've ever found yourself in a position where you have known that something is going to happen, but you just had to wait a wee while for it to come to fruition. Maybe you've been fortunate enough and you've worked hard enough and you've got a promotion in work that you've not been allowed to tell anybody else about until it was all official and everything was signed and the I's were dotted and the T's were crossed. Or maybe you've had to sit on news that was so exciting but you knew that it wasn't your story to tell, it was somebody else's story to tell. Or you've been given some insider knowledge that nobody else has and as you share the news about the upcoming event or situation, people look at you in disbelief and they think that you're pulling their leg until somebody comes and makes an official statement. Have you ever found yourself in that or <coughs> anything similar to those situations? This morning we're drawing our Deolingo series, this series where we've been journeying through some of the words and the language which is used in church and taking time to explain what they actually mean. We are going to take time this morning to talk about the second coming or the second advent of Christ. It is, of course, the first Sunday of Advent, which just fills my heart with joy. Thank you to Claire and to Hugh for lighting our first Advent candle. This is the season in the build-up to Christmas where we anticipate and we remember the coming of the Saviour of the world. Yet, Advent is so much more than shepherds and wise men and donkeys and nativity plays, so much more than Mary and Joseph. And as I shared with the mums and dads yesterday, when I was eight years old, I fell out with my Sunday school teacher in Karen Nazarene because he would not let me play Mary in the nativity. <laughs> Happy days. <laughs> These are, all of these that we've mentioned are important aspects and important characters and important part of the season. But Advent is so much more than that. Advent is so much more than remembering the arrival of God in human form born to a virgin in a manger in Bethlehem. You see, for the followers of Jesus, Advent provides an opportunity for us to not only remember his first coming and all that it meant for the course of history and indeed our own transformation, but Advent also provides an opportunity for us to anticipate and to look forward to that day when he shall return in all of his glory. For centuries, the people of God throughout the world have declared this truth. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Christ has died, past tense. Christ is risen, present continuous tense. Christ will come again. Future tense. You see, his second coming or the second advent is the event for which we live in anticipation of the restoration of all things. 
When Jesus Christ comes a second time, returning this time not as a baby in a manger, but as King of kings and Lord of lords to dwell with his people and usher in his kingdom in all of its fullness. A new heaven and a new earth. No more sickness, no more pain, no more sadness, no more war. No more sin, no more tears. God's dwelling place amongst the people where he is their God and we are his people forever and ever. Amen. You see, as a people called Nazarene, we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ will come again. That we who are alive and is coming shall not perceive them that are asleep in Christ Jesus, that being those who place their trust in Jesus and have passed on to glory. But that if we are abiding in him, we shall be caught up with the risen saints to meet the Lord in the air, so that we shall ever be with the Lord. See, this is the glorious hope that we hold as the people of God. No matter what has gone before, no matter what situations or difficulties that we may currently find ourselves in, that there is coming a day that every wrong shall be made right, and every tear shall be wiped away. That every difficulty that we have had to endure will be proven to be worth it. That those momentary afflictions that feel anything but light whenever we are going through them, they will fade away in comparison to the glory that is to come. You see, the hope, and it's not a pie in the sky hope, the hope, the sure and certain hope that in Jesus and with Jesus, the best is yet to come. You've not heard that for the first time, right? There's a reason that it's repeated time and time again. Because with Jesus and in Jesus, the best is yet to come. And as we look to his coming again, as this hope begins to permeate our lives, the question is, what do we do whilst we find ourselves in this in-between place? <laughs> Earlier in the service, Nevin read these words to us from Titus. <coughs> For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodly and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. You see, whether we realise it or not, the story of God comes in three parts. The story of God comes in three parts and we find ourselves well into part two. We're well into part two. What are the parts? Well, part one. Part one is the, are the events leading up to and including his coming, that first Christmas, and the ushering in of the not yet, not yet kingdom. His death and his resurrection, and indeed his ascension to the right hand of God the Father, where right now 
he is seated, praying for you and praying for me. That's part one. Part two. Part two, well, that's this in-between place in which we find ourselves as we await his coming, the realisation of our salvation and the ushering in of his kingdom in all of its fullness. That's part two. We're in part two. That season of waiting, that in-between place. And part three. Part three, well, that's that coming again that will change everything forever. That day that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we will be his people and he will be our God. Being caught up with him in the air, and we shall reign and dwell with him forever and ever. That's part one, part two, part three. You see, even as God created in the beginning, he knew that he would have to take on human form. It wasn't that God created and hoped for the best. It wasn't that God created and just hoped and willed that Adam and Eve would not fall into sin. You see, God, our God, is an all-knowing God. He knows the beginning from the end. He transcends time. He knew, even as he was creating, that Adam and Eve would fall into sin. He knew that he would have to take on human form and dwell among us to reconcile. That is, to bring us back into relationship with himself. Yet, in his great love, he still created us anyway. In his great love, he made a way. You see, as the people of Israel, his chosen people, journey through the years in this vicious cycle that we talk of time and time again, of turning from God and getting into trouble and then turning back to God and then things going grand again and then turning away from God and so on and so forth, back and forth, back and forth, doing the hokey pokey. One foot in, one foot out. And shake it all about. You see, as the people of God, the people of Israel, his chosen people journeyed, God did not give up on them. God did not give up on them. And throughout the years, time and time again, foretold through the law and the prophets that there was coming a day whenever everything that was wrong would be made right. That God himself would come to dwell among his people. Taking on human flesh. Born as a baby to a virgin in a drafty stable or cave in Bethlehem. Swapping the riches of heaven and his throne for a manger in the dirt. <coughs> See, I don't know about you, but I adore Christmas. You're probably getting this from me, right? Over the past few weeks, but, but I, I adore Christmas, you might not think that living at our house because we haven't had a spare minute to get the decorations up. But we love Christmas, and if you want to see good Christmas decorations, go and see Big Stevie's garden. It's unreal. If you haven't, if you have Steve on Facebook, check it out. And if you know where he lives, drive by. Might even have you in for a cup of tea, but make sure Joy's working. <laughs> right? But the Robinsons, despite our lack of decorations so far this year, we love 
Christmas. We love the festivities, we love the hustle and the bustle, we love the Christmas markets and we love the twinkling of lights, we love the joy of gathering with friends and with family, well most of them. We love the singing of, of carols, we love the nativity play and the smells of cinnamon and gingerbread wafting through the air, we love the turkey dinners, me especially. We love the pigs and blankets, we love the giving and the receiving of gifts. And the fact that in most cases, even the most miserable of creatures seem to have a smile on their face at Christmas time. We love it. We love it. Not everybody feels the same way, and I get that, and that's your prerogative, but I'm right, you're wrong. Uh, but, but, but I adore Christmas. I, I adore Christmas. Yet in all of the festivities and in all of the adoring, it is of the utmost importance that we remember that Christmas is the time of year that we remember that God took on human form and did not stay a baby forever. If, you've ever, if anybody's a fan of Will Ferrell movies, there's a, a scene in Talladega Nights where they're sitting around the dinner table and his wife says to him, you need to say grace. And he says, dear baby Jesus. And she stops him and she says, he didn't stay a baby for hours. Right? You know? That actually, as we celebrate Christmas, as we celebrate the baby born in the manger, that we don't forget that he didn't stay a baby forever. But that this baby, Jesus, grew into a child, a teenager, a young man. And at the age of 30, when he was in his peak, like me, <laughs> at the age of 30, started his earthly ministry declaring that all need to repent for the kingdom of God is near. This same Jesus who would turn water into wine, who would feed 5,000 plus people with five loaves and two fish and 12 baskets of crumbs left over, you do the mass, who would teach crowds and who would heal the sick, always declaring and doing the will of the Father who sent him. This same Jesus would fulfill the very purpose for which he took on human form in the first place. To take upon himself the sins of the world. Past, present and future. And the blameless, spotless Lamb of God would lay down his life for you and for me. See, Mary knew it, for we are told that she pondered these things in her heart. Joseph knew it, for an angel had told him in a dream. The wise men knew it, for they had followed the star. The shepherd knew it, for they had seen him with their own eyes, and everything was just as the angels had declared it would be. And these shepherds, they could not keep it to themselves. The promised one of Israel, the Messiah, had come. The hope of the nations had been born, but his birth, miraculous as it was, was not and is not the main event of history. See, his death and subsequent resurrection, which brought victory over sin and death, making possible the redemption of all who would place their trust in him as Lord and as Saviour of their lives, allowing him by his Holy Spirit to justify and sanctify them from the inside out, bringing transformation and hope to their lives. As groundbreaking and as life-changing as these things are, 
they are not the end of the story. They are not the end of the story. See, they changed everything. They changed everything and are still changing lives each and every day, my own included. But they are not the end of the story. You see, there is coming a day that our faith shall be made sight. That our lowly bodies will be transformed into his glorious body. And he shall return and his reward shall be with him. The root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star, will bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The redeemed of the Lord shall dwell with him forever, where righteousness dwells. Everything that has ever happened and will ever happen is building to this reality. But what do we do whilst we wait? What do we do in this in-between place that we find ourselves in? We're kind of living in an intermission. Act one has been and gone. And we eagerly anticipate act two. If anybody's been to the West End or to Broadway, you'll know what I'm talking about. Or even the Opera House, you'll know what I'm talking about. There's this break in the middle. And once you've used the facilities, you're kind of going, well, let's start again. Act one has gone. And we eagerly anticipate act two. But we find ourselves in this intermission. In this in-between place. And it seems like it's going on forever. It seems like it's going on forever. Many of us simply wish that this intermission would come to an end. The amount of people, even in this room, who have said to me, I just wish either the Lord would take me or the Lord would come back for me. Right? Many of us simply wish the intermission would come to an end and act two would begin. We've not really got any, any indication when Act 2 will begin. Indeed, we are told that no man knows the time, nor the hour. In fact, only the Father himself does. And there will come a time when he will turn to the Son and he'll say, go get them. But it's not yet. And no one knows the time, nor the hour. We know there is coming a day when the Father will send the Son again, this time not to lay down his life for the sins of the world, but to restore to him those who have placed their trust in Christ for their salvation. But what do we do whilst we wait? Waiting sucks, doesn't it? Waiting sucks. There's nothing more British than a queue. Right? I hate standing in queues. We, we live in a society where we are accustomed to getting things quickly. They say that good things come to those who wait, but to be honest, we'll do anything and everything we can to make the good thing hurry up, right? Gone are the days of sending letters and waiting for a reply. Now we just get our phone out and we send a text or we send an email and if the person doesn't reply quickly enough, we get them a phone. As if their world revolves around us. We don't like to wait. We don't like to wait. And that's why we so often leave things to the last minute because we don't want to be thinking about them for too long. We just want to get it done. 
People hate waiting. I hate waiting. It's rubbish. And sometimes, to my shame, I find myself finishing Chloe's sentences because she veers off down another rabbit hole. When all I want is the answer. Instead of just giving her that opportunity when she's been looking after the kids all day to have that human adult interaction. This is my confession. <laughs> and in those moments, I maybe got the answer that I wanted when I interrupted her and finished the sentence for her. But at what cost did it come? You see, Peter, Peter writes in his second letter, says, but do not forget one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. I don't know about you, but I'm more thankful. I'm thankful that the Lord's more patient than I am. And it's only because of his mercy and his grace that we find ourselves in this in-between place right now. He is patient with us and he doesn't want any of us to perish. But he extends time and time again the opportunity to each one of us to turn to him and repent of our wrongdoing and our sin and place our trust in him. He extends the opportunity time and time again to stop fighting what we know to be true and simply surrender. And that takes us back to what Nevin read for us earlier on. This is what we do in the in-between. With the help of the Spirit and God's grace, we are to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. We are to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives as we wait. Allowing him to purify us and to make us more like him. Whilst we wait, our assignment is to say yes to the things of God and no to the things that are not of him. We are to join him on his mission of reconciliation to the world, sharing the good news of the gospel with others in word and in deed. Not just telling them, but also showing them. We are to be like him, resting and dwelling in him. Living for him, telling <coughs> others of him and eagerly anticipating his return. You see, this second coming, that second Advent, as we enter into the first Sunday of Advent, as we journey through our devotions during the week, 
his second advent. It is closer now than it has ever been. This blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, it will come like a thief. And he will appear, this time not to bear the sin of the world, but to bring salvation to those who await him. Which begs the question today, are we waiting for him? Are we waiting for him? And living in such a way that reflects that? Or are we just happy with the way that things are? Are we waiting for him? Have we really placed our trust in him for the salvation of our souls and repented of our sins? If not, if not, there's two things. The first bit's good news. The second bit, not so much. The first bit is this. If we haven't, the good news is that the scriptures tell us that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Do not delay. But the other side of that same coin is that if we ignore our eternity will be one which is spent forever separate from him. One of unthinkable pain and sorrow. But with and if we have placed our trust in him, he is our glorious inheritance. And when he comes again, we will join with him and we will worship him at his throne forever and ever and ever. See, as the praise team come to lead us in our last song, there is coming a day, soon and very soon. And we read about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, according to the Lord's word, Paul writes, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And I love that Paul adds this in verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The intermission seems long. For some, it seems too long. But there is coming a day where we will be caught up with him in the air. Either when he calls us home or he comes to get us. You see, the joy of Advent as we enter into this season together is this. That Advent is not just about the baby who came. But it's about the king who will come in all of his glorious fullness. And I don't know about you, but that's joy, unspeakable joy to the world. Let's stand together as we close our service and so on.